Hello and welcome to the Adnug Podcast, the podcast for the Adelaide.net user group. I'm your host, David Gardner. This is a recording of our June 2016 meeting. First up, we have our regular What's New segment with Ryan Spears. The main speaker of this month was Bazarat Ali Syed, presenting on TypeScript. Bazarat's presentation is also available on YouTube under the title Adelaide.net User Group TypeScript with Bazarat. Wrapping up, this month's recording is an update on the latest features in Visual Studio Team Services. And now over to Ryan. All right, I'll get started. Uh, it's not always just .NET and development related. Um, I just keep my eye on what's, uh, what I see over the month and it's um, interesting. I'm, I get interested about when you write off $7.6 billion of anything, but uh, um, I think I mentioned it a few ago that uh, phone's not doing great. This is just uh, a summary of that again. Just that there was another almost billion dollar write-off today, um, basically in Finland, with around 1,350 jobs lost and most of the payments going to severance, uh, most of that going to severance payments, but um, and also a lot of licenses being sold at the moment to um, places like Foxconn. So I'm hoping that uh, someone either builds something or um, Microsoft have been reasonably successful in hardware in both the, the Surface Book and the Surface Pro. So I was hoping this is, I've, I haven't heard any information, but I was hoping that they'd uh, do something similar in the phone line, but we'll, we'll see. Um, Anyone, I always, I'm finding the whole holog um, Windows holographic, um, HoloLens, all of that kind of stuff quite interesting. I follow along a bit, I haven't done any development in it, but I like watching all of the demos as, they're, uh, as they come in. Um, Microsoft, as it says here, is um, opening Windows holographic platform to its um, OEM partners and the like. So I thought it was tied in effectively to the HoloLens, but it seems like they've um, they're opening it up, so a bunch of devices, including tethered, untethered, opaque, and transparent, uh, transparent delays can be um, can be made by OEMs. I've put a link down on the bottom here. If anyone's interested, it shows uh, what that is. Uh, on a separate note, the Windows 10 remote desktop apps um, apps are going to be rolled out, and the only reason I brought that up it's not overly exciting, but it is when um, there, I can't even remember what it's called, I think I put it in here. There's a certain technology that basically enables 32-bit um, commercial and line of business apps to be able to be used as well, rather than um, just uh, universal Windows platform apps. And it also it looks better on the larger screen, so I thought that was a pretty good new technology or improvement to an existing technology and there it is the continuum I just forgot the name so that should be interesting has anyone got that oh you have have you tried any have you tried running no okay great fantastic I'll be interested to try it out some state if I can um, as was mentioned earlier I didn't realize that uh, I was going to mention it but the .NET conf is on um, I didn't stay up either. The times don't overlap very well, but I've watched some today. It's a free streaming developer event. I thought it went through the 9th, but maybe to the 10th um, from David's notes. Um, it goes across three days, and they basically, they've basically broken up the three days into these. So first day, which has already been, Scott Hunter, 
focusing on web development, um, Visual Studio Bugging and Managed Languages. And then the one that's about to come on in a few hours is uh, Miguel Diacaz's The Keynote, um, and we're more focused on app development, obviously after the Xamarin purchase. And um, on day three, we've got Scott Hansman, who's been mentioned, hopefully on next month, um, will be on. So uh, if you, it's all free. Um, you can watch it the next day. I wouldn't really recommend staying up at that time of the night, but um, I've got a link for it there. I've put this up on the meetup.com comment, so everyone can get access to it if, when they want. Um, any, I think I've done this before. Is anyone using VS Code 1.2? I know a few people are. So uh, you get quite a new. It's really pump out the features, so it's uh, it's really quite good. I'm not really sure if I need to go through them all, but there's a bunch. Um, interestingly, now you can uh, list and install and install extensions from the command line. I used to not be able to do that. Found a bit annoying, but uh, yeah, I'm, I use it a lot. I'm enjoying it. There's also the web development tools for ASP.NET um, Core RC2. Um, has been updated again. I've mentioned here what they are. Basically, you can now have RC1, RC2 projects side by side in VS 2015, I think it is. There's core templates, they're now available. And uh, one thing that I found interesting when I was originally playing with it, you couldn't authenticate um, or authorize using Web API and I was, makes it relatively useless. Um, so I'm glad that was there. I haven't really been any using any of this stuff except for just to play with, has anyone used? I can't imagine anyone's using has been on that core for prod yet? No? Seems sensible. Decided to um, chuck something interesting, or at least something into the end, like a package of the month. This was the one that was provided in one of the Visual Studio blogs or something like that, but um, called Fluent Assertions, and I'm assuming most people, hopefully most people test their code. But the only reason I brought it in um, is, um, damn. So I wouldn't press that button. The, the only reason I brought it in was because, please. No, can't go too far then. Effectively, it just makes the assertions look a lot more pretty. You can, um, they're fluent, so you can just keep on appending them onto the end. Sorry, I've got a busted neck, so I don't normally look around at the Right, so um, as you can see there, you can um, like fluently append your assertions on in a stream that makes sense, um, rather than the way I currently do it, which is just having one after the other beneath each other. Um, and that can get a bit long. You probably want to keep it a bit more terse than that. So um, yeah, have a look at that. And that's it. So how many people here have heard of TypeScript? Can you please raise your hands? All right, so that's two hands. All good? I'm just looking at the volume. Cool. Did the other people not hear the question, or did they have, have they actually not heard of TypeScript? Uh, we're just... Keep going. I'm just going to play with the audio. Go for it. 
I'll just keep the questions coming. Um, how many people here use JavaScript daily at their job? All right, so that's a significant amount. Um, more people, hands have gone up. I'm just going to share my screen now. So uh, can I start, David? Yes. All right, perfect. Um, so one of the key things that TypeScript offers you is, like JavaScript is not without its faults. We all know that. So it's, it just gives you less what. And before you ask what is what, it's stuff that makes you go like this. Instead of stuff like this, where you go, oh, it's stuff like this. And I actually showed this to a fellow, and he said, this one's better than the other one. But still, this is not what you want. Um, so JavaScript does have the concept of errors. And this is an error that I'm pretty sure that every one of you has experienced at least once. Um, you call a function on something that doesn't exist. JavaScript will throw an error. The execution in that particular step will not continue. Anybody know what the answer to this particular expression in JavaScript would be? So probably shouldn't have gone with a question answer kind of a presentation because you guys have to be mute. Uh, surprisingly, the answer will be an empty string. Makes sense. You sum two arrays. One rational answer could have been an empty array. Another rational answer could have been an error. But JavaScript gives you an empty string. Uh, Here's another random example. If you sum an array and an object, what do you think the answer is going to be? Well, the only possible rational answer seems to be just throw an error. But JavaScript will chug along and just give you this string. Here's another one. It seems like it's the inverse of this particular thing. Uh, in addition, is uh, a plus b is equal to b plus a. Uh, Guess not. It's a uh, number. <laughs> if you sum two objects, like this is where it gets even weirder. If you run it in Chrome, it's going to give you this string, whereas if you run it in IE, it's going to give you it's not a number. JavaScript has its flaws. One of the good things is that you can sum a string and a number, and the concatenation is reliable. It works with negative numbers as well. And this allows you to do string concatenation with numbers quite easily for UI representation purposes. But does anybody want to guess what this is going to be? Before you guess, it's not a number. It's still going to run. It's not going to throw an error. But it not, might not be what you expect it to be. Um, and like the argument that people give against TypeScript is, oh, we, we can use linters for JavaScript, and they can point out these errors up front. But can we lint this? You, you no, don't normally write simple expressions like this. You have functions where variables come from different places. So over here, you're passing in an array and an object. And the function is going to internally add these two things. And then as we've seen, it's not going to throw an error at this point. That is going to be at some point in the future. Similarly, like these objects might not even be here. They might be coming from other variables. And these variables might actually be coming from the server. So you need some form of telling the compiler, your linter effectively, that this is the type that I want for this thing. And you should not allow me to do stuff that 
this thing uh, this thing doesn't support for example an array does not support addition don't let me do it and that's where TypeScript comes in TypeScript is effectively just a linter on steroids for for JavaScript so all of these examples of valid JavaScript code that we saw are actually going to be TypeScript errors they're going to be compile times errors you're not going to run into runtime issues with stuff like this but it's more than just a linter it's also what they call a transpiler which basically means that you get to use future versions of JavaScript compiled down to the JavaScript that your uh, current JavaScript engines, such as the user's browser, can actually execute. For example, for a functional language, you keep writing the keyword function quite a lot in JavaScript. There's this thing called an error function, as you can see over here, this particular thing. Uh, which just transpiles, like if, if you pass it through the TypeScript transpiler, you'll just get the same thing, but it's just easier to type. And they're like, they're, it's not just about easier to type, it's also got like, there are new features in JavaScript which actually help prevent bugs. One of them is the let keyword. So here's a piece of code where I have an array of functions, and I'm just going to create three of these functions. So I lesson three create these functions, and each of these functions is supposed to log out the variable i. Now, you would expect that when I call all of these three functions, they would log out 1, sorry, 0, 1, 2. But they'll actually, all of them will log out 3. And that's because uh, the variable i is actually shared between each iteration of this particular loop, because the, the var keyword in JavaScript uh, hoists the variable within the scope within the outer scope. In, in this case, this whole block over here. Whereas there's a new keyword in JavaScript called let, which like for for this particular thing, each i is going to be different. So this this particular i is going to be the value. We're going to point to the reference of i that's created when uh, this particular function was pushed onto the functions array. So this time it will actually log out. Uh, 0, 1, 2. An, an argument that people present when we say that TypeScript is, um, the trans is a transpiler that you'll actually want to use is that, well, if I wait one more year or two more years, my users will have these modern JavaScript engines. Why should I use TypeScript right now? Why not just work off of JavaScript and continue to work off of JavaScript? And as new things come in, I'll start using them. But there's always going to be this gap between what version of JavaScript the user's browsers can support and the JavaScript that you actually want to write. Stuff like that let keyword, stuff like the const keyword that you want to use today so that you don't have bugs in your code. To bridge this gap, you use something like a transpiler, and I'm suggesting that you use TypeScript as that bridge. One of the, like, so the two key bare propositions of TypeScript are the, it's, it's awesome, uh, JavaScript linting and uh, its transpilation of future JavaScript to the current JavaScript versions. However, people have, have quite um, have started to become accustomed to transpilation, so they're okay with that part, but they will still have arguments about I don't need static safety, I have tests. Well, they're not the complete story, right? Uh, you can make tests pass in horrible ways, and like it's all green. But it's, it doesn't fit, uh, and you want something more than that. 
You can never provide really good documentation without mentioning types. Here's, uh, thank you, Matt. Here's a simple example of a function that I've pulled out of NPM, leftpad, which is quite famous right now for various reasons, uh, where the, the arguments for this function are str, len, and ch. So this is a function that's supposed to add a string from the left-hand side. I'm actually getting myself back, and that's slowing me down. Uh, that's fine. So it takes a string, it takes a length, and it takes a ch. The types are actually encoded in the variable names, even if you're not telling them to the compiler. So with JavaScript, nothing stopping you from writing code like this. You could write this, and it would work fine. It's just a function that takes two arguments and then sum them together. But you don't write it like that. You actually write stuff like this. You want to mention that I'm going to take two numbers. And like you give this to TypeScript, that's going to be perfectly fine with it. But you can do more than that. You can actually add type annotations to tell the compiler that never let anybody call this function without a number. And here's another argument against testing, like well, not against testing, but testing says types types are just another form of testing. Type annotation for a particular function is just a theorem, and the function body is a proof. So the function body holds you to that uh, claim. So if, for example, if a function takes a number and another number and returns a number, it's going to ensure that the function must return a number. And another claim that we will make why they don't need types is that conventions are more powerful and less obtrusive than types. Well, how are you going to write your conventions? You can write stuff like this, that people's name should be display name. People should have a user ID. But I'd rather just document it in code, like have a type declared that the person is something like this. And then I get to use it within my code and have that uh, effectively tested by the compiler that nothing is going to call this function with a wrong object structure. And like, the reason why people hate types is they've been burnt by bad types, types that really move the slider towards convenience, uh, sorry, towards soundness instead of convenience. They, they won't let you do stuff which you obviously know, just let me write this. I know what I'm doing. They'll force you down stuff like this. Like here's a piece of Java code that you have to declare throws exception at three levels because Java makes you. That's not what TypeScript is like. It can infer as much of it, as much of your types as possible. For example, like there's no type annotation over here. You just declared a variable foo and you assigned it to a number. TypeScript knows that foo will be a number. And you can ask TypeScript to move completely out of your way. You might get code from some other source or a junior developer or the developer who left, and you don't understand what that is. So in that case, you can just simply annotate that particular variable as any, and then it's fine. Like You can assign a number to it. You can assign a string to it. And then if at the feature point, you call something that you expect to be on a number, and it blows up, Like, but you, if you want to migrate that code to TypeScript, that's perfectly fine. TypeScript will not complain about this thing, because you told it that this particular variable was of type any. You just told the compiler that. I'm driving, just get out of my way, and touch people move out of your way completely. <laughs> and then it's another convenience thing is that how many times have you had a model, and then you had a view model, and then you wanted to convert that model to a view model, and then you kept coming up with stuff like automapper, mapper dot, 
that monomapper and stuff like that. Um, if you have structural types, TouchWave has a structural type system. So types are matched based on their structure, not by their name. So over here I have a variable called foo and a variable called bar. Um, if I were to go ahead and annotate this as uh, foo is of type foo, and bar is of type ibar, I'd still be allowed to do foo is equal to bar is equal to foo. And that's will be perfectly fine with it. You will not get any errors in cases like this. So let me just jump into a quick demo at this point. Uh, before I do, though, because I cannot, hey, you guys, does anybody have any questions? Cool. All right, let's just jump to the demo. So here I have just a simple piece of JavaScript code. It's just one file. Uh, and this is purely for demonstration purposes. Uh, does anybody see anything wrong with this particular piece of JavaScript? Like, let's just start with this line. I want to zoom in. Yep. Can you go full screen on your browser? Alt F, I believe, and Shift F. I can do that. Yep. So, yeah. like, uh, one thing is clear that it's not easy, like, I put upon that it's not easy to review just plain JavaScript. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and just convert this particular piece of course code into JavaScript. I'm just going to rename the file into a TS file. And what you'll notice is that as soon as the TypeScript compiler kicks in, it's going to notice that uh, you're doing a bunch of things wrong over here. So let's just look at the first one. It's saying that the argument of this particular type um, is not usable because it specifies a property called read only that does not exist on this particular function. So it's actually getting that because defined property is defined within uh, lib.d.ts. So basically, TypeScript, the TypeScript team has gone ahead and written declarations for what exists within the browser, all the browser APIs. So that's there. So it's picked up the definition for defined property, and it's picked up that you're passing in an object that doesn't have the right uh, value. So let's just delete that. Let's see what actually exists over here. So let's, if, if I delete that, oh, so here are a few things that exist here. Are probably meant to write writable. So let's just make that writable. And since it was read only false, it should be, oops. And that was not good. Nope, nope. Well, I don't do a full screen. Um, going back here. Grab. <laughs> so if I go back to the top of the file, and great. Um, 
I'm just gonna so, so read only false, probably meant to write writable. True. That's one bug fixed. Here's another one. What's the error? HTML element is not assignable to parameter of type string. Ah, parse int takes a string, but someone's actually passing in a DOM object to this. They probably meant to get the text content for this particular thing or something else. What is it? Text content sounds like. I don't need to remember the case of C over here as well. Uh, I, don't, I don't need to remember that writable doesn't have an E if I'm not a native English speaker. Um, similarly, there's an error over here as well. Oh, someone's applying the single or the arithmetic operator when they probably meant to apply or. So that's that bug gone. But you'll notice that there's more that we can do over here. So email address, an email address or an array of email addresses, that seems like an excellent candidate for a type annotation. Let's just put that in. So now that we have the type annotation, we've told the type of compiler that email address can either be a string or an array of string. It's gone ahead and figured out two more bugs for us. And this bug over here is actually, the comment pretty much explains it. If it's an array loop over it, this person probably thought, being a unit dev, that email address.length is something that you can use to identify if it's an array or not. Actually, length exists on a string as well as an array. So the right way to do this is to actually use the array dot is array function. Now once you've applied that particular constraint and I've missed a bracket, so that's just complaining. So that's good. Then I have to fail at runtime. Uh, and then it's gone ahead and figured out that email address within this particular block has to be a string array because you use this particular type card. You said that only come here if it's an array. And over here, it's figured out that it has to be a string because it clearly cannot be an array. And the only two things that we have said that it can be are a string or a string array. So now over here, we have another um, value is of type number. And we're trying to call it. Someone thought that value would be a string because that's how they're using send email function over here. Uh, so what, what, what could cause that? Oh, this person probably came from some other programming language, or like he might be a professional developer, like an expert developer. But because he's using multiple languages, he's forgotten that the for each in JavaScript, the value is the first thing, the array index is the second. But I don't even need that. That's not used, so I'll just delete that. And now value will be a string, and now value dot trim will be a proper function, and that's will be fine with it. So that's pretty much the demo. From that, hopefully, you've uh, seen some value in using TypeScript just as, as a linter, as a documentation system. It's going to save you errors. Uh, and the editor that I've been using is actually ALM. So if you want to play around with TypeScript, you can just npm install this. And you, you don't even need to install the TypeScript compiler. You should have an IDE and everything. So that's like the whole experience that you saw was just with that uh, single npm install. So I'm going to go back here the slides. And that is it. Thank you. Does anybody have any questions? I'm going to struggle to move out of full screen. Uh, yeah, uh, you just missed the applause. Sorry, I had you muted. Ah, cool. Any questions? Thank you.
questions at all? Uh, so there's a question about the ALM tool. So what, what? Yeah, do you just want to describe a bit more about what you're getting when you install the ALM tools? Uh, so what you're actually getting is a command line uh, executable that, um, that that effectively hosts the ID for you. So you give it a Python project or a JavaScript project, and it gives you a browser entry point. So like as you saw over here. No, it's all other type of I think if I just go back over here, it's running off of localhost something something, and then I have it running on the command line over here from a folder. So it's actually serving that folder up to my browser and then doing live linting. So if I go ahead and type in let foo is equal to one two three, and then foo is equal to let's just try and assign a string to a number, and you'll see that you'll get an error. Over here. That's what I'm giving you. So it's it's, it's, it's a, Starting experience specifically designed for TypeScript. And that's something you've written yourself? Yes. You don't have to use it. So, you, so the TypeScript compiler is perfectly open source. Uh, it just goes to show how much uh, pluggability you have with the TypeScript compiler. You can create your own IDE on it if you want. You can, like, for your own organization, you can do stuff that makes sense for your developers and automate your JavaScript workflows. Any other questions? Bazarat. Well, thank you, Bazarat, for your time. Thanks for giving us a bit of an introduction to TypeScript. Thank you. And uh, yes, yeah, so, so our first remote presentation here at Marcelina. So sort of, I was a bit nervous as to whether it was actually going to work at all. So thanks for being a guinea pig. No. All right. Okay, so the Visual Studio Team System, uh, Team Services team, uh, are looking to really sort of promote what they've been up to. So we had Anthony Borton come down uh, and do a talk last month. Um, so ideally, that would have been their sort of um, way that they um, spoke to the group, I guess, for Anthony. But they didn't get organised for their present their sort of promotion until a bit after he'd done that. So. Um, they've sent through some slides, so just a bit of an overview of what they've been doing. Um, we saw with Anthony we, last month, if you weren't here, um, he went through some of the release management features which have really improved on um, how they used to be. Sorry about the buzzing, that's good annoying. Yeah, I don't know what, what's going on. Right, <laughs> more radiation. Yeah, it's probably something here that's interfering. Anyway, okay. Um, so team services. Um, so you speak of Visual Studio Online. Um, I'm just going to play along. Uh, it's got a whole lot of features in, in it, and I guess the nice thing is it's sort of cross-platform now as well. So not just for for Windows. Uh, so some of the new things that have come out is. Um, being able to sort of uh, some new features on the backlog. There's a little video here, so I might play that video. Okay, buzzing back. Um, okay, so 
Finally, they've added um, being able to customise um, work items and uh, workflow processes. That that was something that's probably holding a lot of people from moving from on-prem to the the cloud service. So you can really customise things for how you want to use stuff. Um, you can now follow items. So if you just want to get uh, notified when something changes, that's easy to do now. It sounds like something they should have always had. Um, there's uh, improvements with um, in the catalogue and there's a REST API now. So a lot of the stuff that Microsoft are doing, they're, they're putting APIs up so that if you don't know what they've done, you can access it yourself and, and write your own clients to query stuff. Or maybe you want to write a, an app that displays your build status on a big screen, um, all that kind of stuff. There's APIs to do that now. Um, we've got improvements with the... Um, Kanban board. Does anyone use the Kanban board in BSTS either on-prem or um, online? So in a few people. Um, so you've got uh, yeah, the ability to break down a large thing into some smaller uh, items to sort of, sort of drill down into what components there are. Um, you can do exploratory testing right from work items. So um, obviously that's something you didn't have before. Does anybody use exploratory testing? No? Okay. That's right. Well, now you can because you can do it straight from the work item. Um, there's another video. Do I want to see if I can get this to go? Yes, I do. Let's make this full screen and see if it works better. phone's just told me that I'm almost out of data, so that's useful to know. So new features being added to um, Git. Um, what? Uh, everybody's trying to get in on the act. Okay, it's all happening. Um, so uh, there's a new feature now where you can um, pull request view um, and they're going to add SSH clients support as well. Uh, that's kind of interesting because I know they're also adding SSH support to Windows um, so soon you won't need to use PuTTY or uh, some other third party to do SSH client stuff from Windows, you've got to do that natively. So I don't know if that's going to be in the Redstone release um, but I know they're working on it so that'll be, that'll be good if you need to use that. Um, so yeah, the, the cross-platform is pretty good. So as well as Visual Studio support, uh, they've got plugins for other platforms. So IntelliJ, if anyone does any Java development, I think that's a really so either Eclipse or IntelliJ seem to be the IDEs that people like to use for Java. Uh, Visual Studio Code, we saw a little bit of that. Um, Ryan mentioned that. Um, that's a cross-platform editor, um, and so there's support in that. 
for talking to um, with using with Git and with Visual Studio Team Services. Um, Cross-platform builds. So Anthony last month mentioned a bit about how they've really improved the the build infrastructure. Um, so it's a lot lighter weight. He showed how you could just download the build agent. It was just a zip file. It was really small. Um, that was really impressive. Um, compared to if you've ever had to set up a build agent with TFS, it's a real nightmare, to, as Anthony described. Putting in the, the, the DVD or mounting the ISO and, and then figuring is it the right one or not and all the different agents, they've really simplified that, um, making it a lot, a lot easier to use. Um, so that that is good to see. Um, has anyone used the hockey app? Um, yeah? Okay. You're going to... Ah, interesting. Okay. So it's sort of like a... Um, it's sort of a little bit crossover with the application insights, but I guess they've sort of... got an application, a phone app that I was using in Application Insights and I, the last few weeks got an email saying, oh, we're going to migrate you over to the, the ho hockey app stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. So, I think that could, that's a really useful thing. I mean, not just the Visual Studio stuff, but the App Insights as well to instrument your app so you're getting that um, uh, telemetry back to, to find what's going on. Um, continuous delivery, so I'm not going to show that video because I think I'm going to run out of data. Um, but we saw last month yeah, the improvements around release management. Um, it's interesting, I've been using Team City a bit uh, the last month or two, so I can see a bit of overlap there. And, and yes, I think also um, Octopus Deploy, probably a uh, bit of competition in that area. Um, that's good. I guess everybody gets better with a bit of competition. Um, and so, in fact, there's there's good integration there. So, if you're using Team Cities for your builds, uh, you can use the release in Visual Studio to manage releases. There's a um, a plug in there to get the two to talk to each other. And likewise, if you're interested in using Docker, you can use that to push stuff uh, as well. Anyone using Docker? Or containers for development at the moment. A couple of half-hearted hands. Um, I think that's something that seems to be getting a lot of attention. I guess particularly with the support being added to Windows, maybe something we'll look get somebody to do a bit of a talk on. So, sort of how how can we make use of containers? What what value are they to us as developers? Um, Uh, some more enhancements for, for triggers, so rather than just having to, a manual release, you can set up some more complicated um, triggers to, to decide when something gets uh, deployed into a particular environment or multiple environments. Uh, the marketplace, so Anthony mentioned that last month, that's really sort of reimagining how to promote all the different extensions and uh, offerings, both within Visual Studio and also in the online service as well. 
So I've got a few extensions published and I went and had a look and sure enough they're, they're listed in the marketplace as well. So I'm not making any money out of them because they're free but uh, it's nice to see that they're appearing there as well. Well if you just click on it then it takes you back to the old gallery so I guess they're still working on that. Um, there's a few uh, new and popular extensions listed there. Um, the code search one sort of looks interesting as sort of being able to search across all of your code all of your projects um, that could be kind of handy if you're trying to find something. I guess a bit like in Git, GitHub, you can just do a search and you'll see what it'll come up against. Um, exploratory testing extension, I don't really know what that is. So, um, so there's the code search I mentioned before. Um, being able to search across a whole lot of different things, that is kind of nice. Um, Create uh, NuGet packages really easily. NPM support coming soon, which is nice. Um, documentation, that's always a nice thing. Um, if you're using visualstudio.com, then Microsoft are interested to hear from you to find about um, your experience. Um, feel free to uh, email that email address. I think that's one of the people I've been talking to. Um, over the last week. So. so that's it for the Visual Studio presentation. It's a bit of a short one. Uh, so t-shirts hopefully next month. Um, talk amongst yourselves for a little while and then the pieces will be coming out. So thank you. And I'm, I'm going to turn the buzz off.